This is Oh Man Rolling Dice. Hey, it's DM Jeremy. You got Old Man Rolling Dice again? My Jiminy Cricket we came up with last episode. My Jiminy Cricket is here, Jason. And we are joined by Alex, a.k.a. Curly, from the Devil's Bench in Brantford, our local gaming store. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be the owner of a gaming store, specifically through COVID. And we're probably going to talk about some games that we like and, and what we're looking maybe forward to coming down the pipe in games. How are you guys doing? How are you feeling? We're doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. This is awesome. I had a nap. I have a nap hangover. I'm not going to lie. I had a really good nap this morning. We usually record these later in the evening, but we're all on a day off, sort of uh, not yet starting our shift. So we're all chilling and hanging and hopefully everybody's had a coffee. I have not had my coffee. Yeah, I had to switch out my podcast beer for podcast coffee. But Yes, podcast beer is good. Very it's crisp. good. It's crisp and flavorful. I'm a huge fan of the podcast cocktail or beer. And I'm not going to lie to you. I finished my uh, podcast coffee, and I'm currently thinking about going the other way. I'm like, maybe it is time for a podcast beer. (laughs) I mean, it's it's technically afternoon, right? I've got uh, a little bit of time to sleep this off. What's the song say? It's 5 o'clock somewhere? Yeah, some. I'm pretty sure it's been five o'clock for the last year. We actually have a, we have a podcast coming up. We're sort of in the midst of getting it ready. For, speaking of coffee, with a, a podcast called Can Trips and Coffee. Oh, the two guys, the two fellows out of Alberta. Yes, yes, and uh, I don't know when that's actually going to all happen, but it's in the works. We have lots of another. In the works. Uh, are they another D and D podcast? Yeah, yeah. They're sort of D and D and coffee review. Okay, cool. We have so much. Old Men Rolling Dice is kind of it's it's in a bit of a boom right now. You guys are taking off in a big bad way. Not to brag, but (laughs) but here's it's not a brag. Here's what it is. I have been busier with the podcast than I have ever been with it before. Like it's sort of a part time hobby gig for Jason and I. It's like. It's fun to talk to people. Let's talk to people. Yeah, let's do that. And then it's like that. And lately it's been, holy crap, I've got more editing to do. Holy crap, I've got uh, I've got another person to arrange a meeting with. And yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. Editing is always the longest part. Yes. Just takes ages. It's fun. And you get to flex your creativity muscles you went, a bit. You went to school for editing and stuff. Did you not? I originally went to Mohawk College for television broadcasting, and I was there for, it's a three-year program. I spent one year, an extra year in uh, general arts and sciences before I started that program. So I was in college for four years, and then... Well, um, well this is a good segue. So we go from, from you know, looking to the future, television broadcasting. How do we end up at the, at the devil's bench? You graduate at the height of the Canadian recession. Okay, <laughs> is the best way to uh, to elaborate on that. Yeah, and then there was just there was no work for so long. There still isn't. the uh, The internet kind of took over all at once, and you know, syndicated TV shows uh, or just like morning broadcasts are are still getting trounced by guys like Philip DeFranco online or uh, podcasters, uh, tubecasters, anything that can uh, or anyone that can just set up a web camera and say the news, you know, you get a more intimate relationship with the person behind the camera. It's not some 
stuffy guy in a three-piece suit, right? So that that really took over. So after after college, there was very, very little work in my field. I ended up cutting sheet metal as a CNC operator for like five years. And I said, that's enough. That's enough of that. And uh, had a crazy idea to open the devil's bench. And here I am now in 2021 and things are going, with the exception of COVID, things are going pretty good. I think you're kind of living the dream. Like if, if, if you're a gamer, at some point, I think you've considered how do I make this my life? Like, how do I make this what I do for a living? Do you know what I, do you know what I mean? It's like, absolutely. No, I, it's, it's takes me aback every once in a while when I'm like, wow, this is, I can't believe this is working and it's still working and it's working well. And this shouldn't be working. You get imposter syndrome really quick. It's a, it's a crazy little story. It's a little, for people who haven't been, it's a little hole in the wall hobby store and sleepy little Brantford, Ontario. But uh, we, we've cultivated a really good crowd of people that uh, come here on the regular to either roll dice or when, uh, when things get a little less crazy outside pandemic-wise, flip cards. And it's just a good spot. Everybody's always willing to teach, which is really nice. It, it's a really nice thing. And I think this is one of the things we like about sort of the, your favorite local gaming stories there's a vibe when you go in. You go into a larger store in some sort of mall in a large city, you, you don't get that same feeling. When you go into a smaller store, there's a sense of community, right? People know each other. People are more open. They're more, there's more apt to greet you. Um, and I think that a lot of times people have more time for you. They're willing to sit down and discuss that, stuff with you. That's the word that I was going to use is community. And, and I say that because my first interaction with the Devil's Bench was not as a retail store. My first interaction with the Devil's Bench was uh, as a, a community sort of information sharing day where D- a whole bunch of DMs came together to share knowledge of the game. I think Bill hosted it at the time. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yep, yeah. No, that, that was right before we opened. We tried to reach out to all the, the local niche nerdy communities, right? So we, we had a sit down with the DMs. We went and talked to the, uh, there's a LARPing group in Brantford called Bell Hollow. And we went and chatted them up to see what they were looking for in a store. Okay, quick side uh, branch on that. Does Bell Hollow still operate? I have no idea. I haven't heard from them in a long time. And I'm guessing with the COVID stuff that, you know, you're only allowed outside gatherings of, we were in red forever, so it was 10 people, right? Okay, I'm guessing so they would have gotten the COVID cops called. If on someone from Bell Hollow is listening, I would really like to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> you need to drop us a line. Uh, I didn't even know we had like a group in Brantford. That would be very can, interesting. Now that my memory is jogging with the, with the continuous sips of coffee, I know a couple people. Yeah, but uh, we we went out to the LARPers, we went out to um, the the Magic players, and the we weren't into tabletop yet because GW was in a weird place when we opened around 2015. So we were a little hesitant to put in the thousands of dollars you need to put mm-hmm. uh, Games Workshop on the wall. But uh, just to introduce ourselves and to get information from what people want to see in their local hobby store, and well, I think I think community. We've said this before on previous podcasts. You 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 can't have a local gaming store anymore, in my opinion, 
without having gaming tables. No. Like community goes hand in hand with what you do, I think. Unless you want to be an internet seller with a storefront, uh, but you that that's such a hustle. That is such a grind. Because there's guys that open, you know, mini stores and card stores that will have a, a small hole in the wall place for, for singles and whatnot, but do most of their transactions online. And you can do that, but I don't really know the point of that. Um, because if you're getting all your money from, from online sales anyways, why would you have the storefront that you have to pay rent and electricity and mm-hmm. hydro and everything for when you can just do all your business online? You, you open a store to have the tables, to have people clattering dice, um, across the the six by fours and uh, you get the stories and you get the smiles and friendships blossom and uh, it's great to see i've met a ton of people from dming at the at the bench Mm -hmm. Uh, and we get to launch programs like uh your your big to do with uh cystic fibrosis yeah yeah uh and thank you for hosting us our first two years of heroes for cf was done right out of the devil's bench we basically took over the bloody place anybody well, that we'll have to, to post some pictures because it was cramped yes and anybody a lot of people and the one year it was bloody hot i think yes. the second year i mean it was in may but the heat hit and holy cow we like in in between sessions people were like standing outside just trying to cool off it was insanely hot i mean no air conditioning was going to keep up because there were so many bodies in the it was, it was who cr- don't know, crazy. Uh, Brantford is very much the armpit of the Golden Horseshoe. <laughs> when, uh, when it comes to the heat, it is a wet, damp heat in the summer. And there's just no getting away from it. So why Brantford? Like, why, why, why did I open in Brantford? Yeah, why, why, why Brantford? Why Brantford? No. Well... <laughs> We don't want. To, I don't think we want to get into why Brantford might be <laughs> called an armpit, but uh, but why Brantford? Like, why not open elsewhere? Uh, there was nothing in Brantford at the time, um, so I was opening into you know a small monopolized uh, area, and all my buddies were here. the uh, The reason we call it the Devil's Bench is uh, DB. The Devil's Bench was our clan tag whenever we went online to play stuff like. Counter-Strike, Battlefield, anything team-oriented. And uh, when we were choosing the name of the store, a bunch of names got passed around. And then we just said, why don't we call it our clan tag? Because it has so much history with our our friends and we can bring people into that community. And it just fit. So all of the Devil's Bench was already here, minus me. I was in Hamilton at the time. So I made the move. And uh, then we opened here. And it's, it's worked out thus far. Do you ever get blowback from the name having the word devil in it? Absolutely. To this day, uh, we opened, and I didn't actually, I'm, I'm not the quickest guy. I'm not the sharpest tool in the drawer. Um, I didn't realize we opened across the street from one of Brantford's oldest standing churches until like three days before we put up the sign. That was a big revelation. I think it's hilarious. I think it's fantastic. It's a cat. And a lot of people think it's a tattoo shop. Really? Yeah, a lot of people say, oh, I thought we came in here to get tattoos. I was like, no, you come in here to 
pretend you're a pixie barbarian and roll dice. <laughs> <laughs> you should get that as a tattoo. I would love to Absolutely. see the pixie barbarian tattoo. So let's 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 talk about gaming. Let's let's talk about uh, Warhammer, uh, Age of Sigmar, D- D- Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so COVID hits, we can't come in to the bench to play anymore. But uh, are people still are people still buying their favorite games? Are people still their hobby choices changed at all with COVID or? Uh, no word of a lie. Business is great. And, yeah. uh, the, awesome. uh, the, the joke I make at the expense of my clientele and they give me uh, a little bit of shit every time I do it is gamers, including myself, because I've been into this stuff since, you know, the mid nineties, we have very poor impulse control. Yes. Yes, we yeah. do. <laughs> is if, if we own something, but that same thing comes out in a different style of packaging, we'll pick it up every time. And I am still a slave to that in every sense of the word and everybody got a serp check at the same time and then they all came in and got something shiny for retail therapy that's exactly what happened as much as covid has been a mental strain for you know it's been a mental strain for everybody it's been a mental strain for me when i'm in here and it's just empty tables nobody's allowed to come and chill out you know and you see the the pain in people's faces when they come and pick up their new thing, knowing that they can't even really use it. You know, during, during lockdown, what do you do with a, a Sigmar or a 40K army um, aside from paint it and look at it on the shelf? You build and paint. You build, build and, and paint. paint. That's it. Which I'm awful at. I still have a pile of gray models. They're, they're everywhere. Because, okay. again, I have poor impulse control. And every time something new comes out for the army, just snatch it up. It's actually never been worse because now I get things at like distributor price instead this of retail is, price. This is literally sitting beside my desk since I bought Just, it from you. <laughs> the Gargant. The Mega Gargant. You want to talk about impulse for my orc army. But even even the opportunity to buy a new D&D book and sit down and read a new D&D book is there. I know yeah, lots there, of people that have been doing catch-up stuff for role-playing online is crazy. Yep, there's a lot of background stuff to do as a DM. It's just that uh, any type of competition gaming in, in the nerdosphere, everybody is very thirsty for it right now. Uh, it's tough to get a big game of 40K right on now. It's tough to get um, Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, where you get a bunch of people into a room to have like a multi-stage tournament for three or four hours. You just can't do that. Even if you have the bigger space and you're allowed 20, 30 people in, do you really want to be the hobby store that has the outbreak? I don't. I'm not going to start that stuff till every till we're all in like green again. That's what I was going to ask you about. Is, um, like with the minis and the D&D, there, there's prep work. There's so much you can do. I wasn't sure how it was affecting the card community, right? Because a lot of times with the card community, it is, it's entirely about the social, right? There's very little prep work. Once your deck's built, you buy a couple of boosters, you roll over to the table, you swap a couple of things out and you're playing. As a community, they have to be taking a real hit right now. They are. Um, so a lot of them have moved online. There are online components to either Magic the Gathering or Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! And there are certain outlets that way. But uh, you're right. You don't get that, that tactile feel 
of, uh, of sitting across from the table and shuffling your deck and conversing with your opponent and having that human interaction. I think it's going to be weird for a long time, even when everybody gets the super green light again to go back to what will be considered normal. I think the fear is going to be in a lot of people to sit down so close to another human being and interact with them just like you used to. Are, are you willing to pick up that gentleman's card, even if it's sleeved, and read the text on it because you're not sure on a rule? Or someone says, hey, you forgot your dice, use mine. Are you going to pick up those dice? I don't know. It's going to be strange for a bit. Yeah, I no, I agree with you. I don't know. I don't know what steps we take to get back to where we were. The D and D people that I talk to, at least, they're they're very much looking forward to getting back to the table and playing, mm -hmm. because online doesn't scratch sort of all of the itch, so to speak. I mean, you get to play the game. That's great. And in some cases, in some cases, I'm playing D and D with people I wouldn't have normally played with because of distances and that so that's very cool but there's still that want to be like i dm better without the amount of prep work i need to do to take a game online i can get i would do so much less if i was going to run you know if i was going to run it at the bench or even at my table at home i don't worry about maps i mean i have a i have a rollout wet erase map and I just sketch quick on the fly. Now, when we go online, trying to find appropriate maps to drop onto the virtual tabletop. And uh, I just think I DM better from behind a screen. And I'm, I emote like with <laughs> hands, arms, body uh, when I DM. And I can't necessarily do that as well uh, from behind a camera. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to get back, but I would anticipate, like Jason said, that Magic the Gathering people or, you know, Pokemon, I always say Pokemon to piss my kids off, but Pokemon, <laughs> I think those people have to be really struggling because online, I understand they can play their games online. Both those card games mentioned have really robust online versions. However, it can't possibly be the same as sitting across from an opponent at a table and dropping that card that seals the deal that you're going to win and you know the booyah or in your face or yep. you know. or showing off your collection and your in your binder or the the trading mechanic that uh that uh, everybody does it's um it's a big component to be face to face with other like-minded individuals of your hobby for that just to be stripped away so suddenly is um is jarring yeah that's what i was going to say if you've ever been into a, a, a small gaming store on a pokemon or a magic night there's a buzz in the air like yep. there's you can feel it like you know stuff's happening i can't imagine i and then anytime we're having to do something remote or like this it's, it's just an extra layer between two people it's just it makes the distance uh more pronounced i'm sure it's just as good online technically but I think in terms of the social aspect, it has to be missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think we're going to be dealing with that for quite some time, which is just another hurdle that like COVID has, has thrown at guys like me. Obviously, I am on the, the very, very low end of what COVID has thrown at a lot of professions, right? 
Uh, I feel really bad for the restaurateurs or the people that own pubs and bars. I can still operate in this climate. And I got to on some, as much as I keep on singing these sad violin songs, you know, feel sorry for me, boo hoo. Uh, I don't have it nearly as bad as, as other entrepreneurs. My heart goes out to them. If you're a bar owner, man, because I'm going to tell you something. What do you do? But, okay, I like to go to the bar and have have a beer with friends. Yep. At the same time, though, even when we're green, I'm not sure I can go to a bar. It's like, there's a certain strange. level of paranoia in my mind yeah. that I'm not sure I can st- even then go, okay, well, I'll go have a beer. Yep. Yeah. And it, it's killing me, too, because... I feel bad because I've talked to a couple of people who were not only going through the, this this COVID crisis in terms of, but one or two people who actually were like, well, we, it had been two years in the planning and we launched our business during this because that, that machine was already in motion. Like yep. there was no stopping it. So we were going into a, what we knew was going to be the first year or two, which is rough where you're sort of building up your business space. And on top of that, we're taking this extra massive hit. And yet it's, it's, I feel bad for them, but it's also exciting to see somebody that's so passionate about it. They're like, you know what? I know that I'm going to have to shoulder twice the weight, but this is that important to me. I have every intention of following it through. There is a brand new brewery restaurant in the small town where Jeremy and I live. I go buy it like once a week and my heart breaks. I want to be sitting in there right now having a beer. And yet I agree, Mm -hmm. even though we could, you could go in, uh, there's a number of factors in my life in terms my wife and my kids and my parents where I have to just sort of maintain a level like a level of security to make sure that I don't expose them to anything. And it's, it's absolutely tough. what's, what's the gamble there, right? right. You know, a, a small dopamine rush from drinking that crisp beer compared no to your, your family's health. And I get it too. My favorite place in Brantford is, uh, it's called Sammy's rec room. And uh, me and my girlfriend used to go there once a week, once a week, every week we would go and they would, I wouldn't even have to order. They, it would just be ready after after a little while. And it was great. And I love that feeling of getting back community, right? The, the small town vibes. Kind of like we're all in this boat together. So everybody takes a turn rowing. But, uh, you know, we've been back there. We've, done, we've gone for takeout, but it's not the same. You don't get that vibe. You don't hear the music. You don't hear the chit-chat. Yeah, it's, that, it's just a it's just just honor. That's the that's the thing that I've missed that I've missed most is that every Wednesday I would be DMing at the bench and I didn't realize how much what's the word I'm looking for just the just the opportunity to get out of the house once a week and get away not to escape my family but just to be on sort of my own time doing something I like to do seeing people I like to see and you know, for a couple hours, that's, you know, I've still been able to continue to play Dungeons and Dragons, but that's the component I'm missing. I'm missing the, the, the socialization of just saying tonight's my night out. Like I'm not home tonight. I'm going out tonight. It's I'm unavailable on Wednesdays because I'm at the bench DMing. That's uh and there's gotta be, I, I'm sure if I'm feeling it, there's gotta, everybody else had either plays D and D or, Warhammer, whatever they go to the bench for, or their local gaming store for, they've got to be feeling that too. Like I, I don't think I'm an isolated incident at all. No, everybody's got the COVID blues. Everybody's uh, 
got cabin fever, been so cooped up for so long, and it, it's going to get really bad because the sun is finally shining in Brantford after months and months of gray weather, and like the snow is starting to recede, and everybody's it's a very nice dog day out today, turds actually. are starting to show on the ground from the melting snow. It's a beautiful <laughs> time of year. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's the most wonderful time. Yeah, I'm not no kidding. Mm-hmm. But this is when everybody's going to want to go out. Okay, let's get it here back on track. I'm not going to talk about Jeremy singing right now. It is going to get rough. It is going to be tough. People are going to have to still lock down. The weather is getting gorgeous. And we had talked about this before it started rolling. What's out there and what's on the market now? And not just what's on the market, but what's maybe some hidden gems. We talked about the fact that if you're into mini wargaming, you know, there's, there's one giant in the room. If you're into role-playing, there's one giant in the room. But there's a lot of other great things on the market out there. What are you seeing as somebody who has insight into what's available in, in terms of a catalog of everything that's out there? What's out there that you're really interested in? What out there that looks fantastic and you think people should probably check out? So what I recently played with a couple of buddies of mine uh, is a board game called Root, uh, T. And uh, Root was a very successful Kickstarter campaign uh, with asymmetric gameplay between four players. It's a really cool design where you're all trying to reach the goal of 30 points. They're all woodland creatures. So the cats are playing civilization while the birds are playing risk, while the, the mice are playing something else. And they're all trying to reach 30 points in a different way. So every time you play, it can be a little different. Uh, there's even one faction that he's just a lone little Robin Hood bandit. And uh, he'll go from town to town trying to curry favor with the different warring factions uh, so that he can reach 30 points. That was a huge gem. Played that a couple times now. And as much as it is complex, uh, it's, it's people have called it as complex as something like uh, Twilight Imperium. It gets rolling really quick. And after a while, you're just... It's almost like a computer program. You're just going through the steps and going through the lines and uh, taking your turn. It's, uh, it's really neat. I would totally recommend Root. Uh, another one we just got in that I was talking to Jeremy about was a uh, pen and paper game called Morkborg, like a Swedish black metal rendition of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, very, very rules light, very open for interpretation. Uh, I think we I think rules. we can really talk about Morkborg here. Jason and I have both looked into it, and this is def- this is the one I was. Hey, this is this is what you're not being <clears> subtle. <throat> like I'm going to ask Alex, and I'm going to hope he brings this up because I don't want to have to bring <laughs> it up. But I'm like, um, when I was scrolling through your Facebook page, uh, I saw it was there, and I was like, oh crap! I've been looking at some OSR stuff recently, and this comes up on everybody's list. Yeah, it, it's great. I, I read through the rules. I'm running a game this uh, this Monday with, with my crew over Discord or Facebook or Zoom or whatever we choose. Mm-hmm. It's a setting I really like. It's very, very heavy metal, very bleak, very rundown. Background of it is uh, she appeared and she is a two-headed basilisk. And everything that she has prophesized has come true. And she just prophesied the end of the world. So now everybody is super depressed and mutations are starting to form in the cracks of the earth and everybody's cut off from each other and everybody knows the end is coming. So you get to decide as a player character uh, if you want to embrace that and go out with a bang or try to prevent it 
but everything she has said has come true. As a DM, at the beginning of every session or every dawn, as the book says, you have to roll a die and it's a die of your choice, however long you want your campaign to be. And on a one, uh, a new psalm for people that uh, are churchgoers, a new psalm is said. And the psalm is a global curse. And it'll either be like the wind is now poison and that's gonna carry through your total campaign or the water's no longer drinkable. And just like things get shittier and shittier. And then at the seventh psalm, that is the end times. And the last words in the instructions for the DM is to burn the book. So you're just done with it. You got to end your campaign. It's over. Throw the book in a fire. You're done. I had seen somebody review that and mention burning the book. And they're like, first of all, it's such a beautiful book. I don't know that I could burn it. And then he goes, second of all, the amount of ink and foil in here, I, part of me wants to see those flames because I bet they're crazy. There's no way these are just <laughs> standard orange fl uh, flames. This has got to burn like like something satanic. Yeah, that's another thing. The, uh, the I had no direction. idea that was part of the game. I yeah. had I had looked at the artwork. I had read a bit of some of the rules mm -hmm. and looked at the character sheets and stuff, but I hadn't gotten into the setting of Morkborg. I didn't realize that it was like that kind it does say that it's for ages something like 16 and up yeah it says not really recommended and really is in italics for uh ages 16 and uh and below it is a bleak bleak world it's cool and there's a there's a lot of history packed into the small presentation because it's not the size of a, of a D, D book it's actually uh quite a bit smaller um but everything you need to know is in there with neat little stories of uh, of the regions and it's condensed down to this island and it says in in the first paragraph like people have tried to leave the island and they either come back uh, alive and depressed dead or somewhere in between so like there there's no escaping it Morkborg is this this little map and there's plenty to explore and build upon uh, but you don't have to worry about the entire world and the the geopolitical any, economics and does politics anybody want to explain to me why europeans and I think specifically metal? northern europeans this is not the first dark game i've seen come out of there i'm thinking of lamentations of the flame princess we as not us but our uh, our, our grandparents got to take a boat over there to start throwing bombs and shooting bullets they had to live through it right and generations of war, not, you know, World War One and Two, and smaller conflicts, like that's, that's got to play on your, your entire. Do you think that's it? It's just they, they've lived through shit? I, I would have to say it. You know, how else are, are you going to deal with, with the horrors that, that you see in something like that, if not expressing it through art? I mean, with COVID and everything, I can understand someone bringing out a campaign that's sort of like the end of the world the end of the world campaign is not anything new to dungeons no. and dragons or role-playing games uh the heroes are always trying to prevent the end of the world type stuff but in this particular setting it's inevitable it's inevitable it's going to happen unless like you find the crazy thing that uh that stops it but that's up to you as a storyteller this uh this two-headed basilisk she has prophesized it and everything she said has been 100 on the money she's better than nostradamus 
it should happen in your campaign. But of course, that that's always up to the DM. There's something about the lethality of the earlier editions of gaming. Characters weren't meant to live long lives. Like if you we play we have a sword and wizardry game running a white box clone. It goes even before red box. It goes right back to white box and in our last session we had like three characters die at the snap of a finger. There was nothing they could do. The dice rolled and said they were dead and that was the end of it. They had to move on and make new characters. I think these I think games like Morkborg and Lamentations are similar in that regard. Like sometimes the dice just say you die and if you die you die. Like you don't have any control over it. I think there are players out there right now that are so in love with 5th edition survivability. Mm. That when you bring a game like this to them, they don't know what to do with it. They right. can't enjoy it. They can't enjoy the game. They need. They want story and heroicism. Yeah, yeah. They you want can still be, of the rings. You can be incredibly fucking heroic in a game like Morkborg. Like yep. if the dice just happen to come up in your favor, everybody's like, "How the fuck did you live through that?" I guess that's the difference. If I come to you and go, hey, we fought this dragon in 5th edition. It was really, a, it was a real epic battle and we came out on top. The The problem with all of that is we always knew you were going to come out on top. Right. Whereas in a game like Morkborg or Swords and Wizardry, these older systems, you don't know if you're going to come out no, on top. Absolutely. The Swords and Wizardry game last week. I mean, when you would talk to a fifth, I was talking to some fifth edition players at work. And I was like, we lost three party members to goblin arrows. Like, nobody dies to a goblin arrow in fifth edition. That is never going to happen. Like, I opened the door. There were some goblins. I got shot. The roll was on the screen. Three hits. That's it. There was no, there's no death save. There was no. The wizard was one shot. Our our magic user had three hit points and one random arrow. One goblin arrow ruled max damage for six. We just said it hit him in the forehead and it was over. There was no death saves. There's nothing. It's just... Yeah. But I mean, when you talk to somebody about, like, there's no way a group of 5th edition, 1st level characters rolls in encounters six or eight goblins. And our party was probably the same size as the number of goblins we encountered. And I mean, we were closing in on half the party being wiped. Yeah. Because of dice. That's the dice and just the the game, uh, the game core mechanics. Like the fact is, that's what your armor class is. That's what your hit points are. And we're not going to go negative eighteen and somebody's still binding your wounds, right? I mean, you're just gone. And doesn't that make like the the steak taste a little better <laughs> and the beer a little crisper when there's something on the line? One hundred percent. I think it, and it does not just that. It makes. I think in fifth edition, a lot of times you don't have to think about your actions. You're like, oh, I just did something stupid. There's going to be ramifications, this much mm-hmm. ramifications. In an older school game, bad decisions have consequences. And, and sometimes you're right. Sometimes it's just the dice and it's just bad luck. But I think the, the ramifications of a really poorly thought out plan or a really bad decision tends to manifest itself in deaths in an old school game a lot more. That's my rant. So if that's our role play pick... I want to know about miniature games because I play, I play Age of Sigmar. I play, I haven't played 40k in a while, but I have this really big Chaos Space Marine army. It's right on the shelf over there, in boxes needing to be built. So I want to play it, but is there a miniature game 
that's maybe getting overlooked, do you think, Alex, that just because of the saturation Games Workshop has, like if people could just give this miniature game a try, they would be... Oh, there, there's, there's plenty. And that's such a... It's a big challenge uh, owning a shop where in, you know, in a reality where Games Workshop exists, as much as I am a fanboy and have been since its, its early conception, it's hard to get people to try something new because they are very married to their game system. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is other stuff out there that presents more elegant ways to play uh, tabletop warfare. Um, a big gripe, one of the big gripes I've always had with, uh, with the Warhammer system, especially 40K, is it still plays like a Civil War game where I get an entire turn to shoot you and you just have to take it. You have to sit there and just soak up my bullet fire and there's nothing you can do about it. But that doesn't simulate the, the chaotic nature of a battle, uh, especially in a, a setting where people are throwing nuclear warheads at each other, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, everything is so ramped up to the nth degree in Warhammer that the, the game system should try to to mimic what they're what they're selling um and I, games... i'm not and i and i'll i'll be clear here you and, and i'm pretty sure you're on the same page we're not bashing games workshop because they have some of the most beautiful models and and uh, and kits uh, oh, out there 100%. on the market like i i love warhammer there's a reason it's here. done as well as it has but yeah. that doesn't mean it does everything like you said, there there are other ways to address certain game mechanics that if people would just look at some of these alternatives, they could find. Absolutely. I was saying after this, I'm going to go work on my Titanicus set and I'm going to work painting up more Skaven. And I love Warhammer and I play it every time I can. But if people got uh, the inclination to try something different, I would push them towards something like uh, Bolt Action or Star Wars Legion. Uh, has a really excellent turn system where it's a back and forth turn system for activations and you get the the flow of combat and there are uh, tactical ways to activate more than one unit at a time so for the more tactically minded that don't like that randomness and chaos of battle uh, there are options for you to show your prowess on the tabletop it's in the star wars setting which uh you know will always be hot uh, yeah. No matter what the cinematic universe tries to do, everybody's still going to love Star Wars. Um, <laughs> the The models are great. It's at an amazing price point. I couldn't recommend it enough. It is a fantasy flight game, so expect chits. C H uh, I T S. <laughs> every time I have a little slur, my teeth don't match up, so it always sounds like there's a bunch of shits in the box. <laughs> so get ready for a bunch of shits, but know that chits in the box because it is a fantasy flight game so there's a lot of tokens and dials and cards and miniature cards uh, but they all serve a purpose and uh, a lot of them are just used as place markers to see what has activated in that back and forth alternation did that, Sometimes game, you get that. did that game not just change hands though fantasy flight either gave that down to a sister company or something or there was uh, it's still being produced. Uh, it still has the Fantasy Flight logo on it, obviously with the Disney merger to LucasArts. Now all, all the boxes had to change to represent that uh, mm -hmm. that copyright. 
Um, but no, it's still going on. Uh, X-Wing is another great one where it's, yeah, uh, it's a little I, I more thought, back and forth. I could have sworn there was a company that took took was now in charge of rules and that for Star Wars games. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Anyways, I didn't mean to interrupt. X-Wing is yeah, fantastic. No, X, X-Wing's another one. Uh, played on 3x3 three three instead of the 6x4. Um, another great point of entry, whereas in other, you know, uh, grand scale tabletop games, you need that investment of a couple hundred dollars to get going. With X-Wing, you can spend 80 bucks and not spend another penny, and you're good. You're more than good. You have some options in your list. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think X-Wing is a great game for, for people that are looking for their first game to get into miniatures because it's not a army-sized... In uh, There's still... Believe me, the little pieces of plastic that you're going to move around the board, if you've never miniature game before, you're going to be surprised how expensive they are. Right. But like you said, once you've bought a couple you don't necessarily have to keep buying, 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 buying. You've made it, you've made a little investment and you're, you're good to play. Yep. I'm not saying um, Jason that I won't keep buying, buying, buying. <laughs> like, I, don't even how he, I don't even know how he says this stuff. eh? Yeah. Like, lying through his teeth. Yeah. I think he, it looks like he's sitting in a swimming pool full of plastic minis down there right <laughs> now on the screen. <laughs> Someone recently at my house, like I had my X-Wing minis out and they're like, I, you know, what are these? Oh, they're, they're X-Wing uh, models, X-Wing uh, miniature game. Uh, they said to me, why do you need three Millennium Falcons? I'm like, because I need three Millennium Falcons. Yeah, of course you do. Why wouldn't you? One's the Lando version. One has the round disc. One has the rectangular dish. There's lots of different versions of the Millennium Falcon. So, you know, go fuck yourself, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Another uh, another nice hidden gem that kind of amalgamates, you know, the board games into uh, some sort of tabletop simulated warfare is one uh, you've been bugging me to play, Jeremy, which is U-Boat. Yes. Okay, and, this game, uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to say anything about the game. I'm going to let Alex explain U-Boat, but I'm just going to say this. We were playing Dungeons, I think we were playing Dungeons and Dragons maybe one night at the bench, and you and Kennedy and someone else might have been playing U-Boat, and... It was it was a cool enough game that like I'm trying to do my best as a DM to focus on my game, but my eyes kept like drifting across to like what's going on over there. So you explain U-boat because U-boat is has a mechanic that I just the the use of a tablet or a laptop. This is the, this is the mechanic that I really like with U-boat. U-boat. So you t- you tell everybody about U-boat. So it's uh it's the mid 19. 19- 40s uh you are part of a german wolf pack uh which is a uh, submarine crew um your job depending on which mission you roll is to do what u-boats do and go into the atlantic and sink merchant vessels it is a cooperative game so you're playing against an ai uh one person is going to be the captain one person is going to be the uh the engineer, the first mate, and you have this gorgeous big cardboard U-boat in front of you that you have to uh, micromanage by placing workers, it's worker placement, placing workers in the different areas to do different tasks. The cool thing about it, which I love, is the app that goes along with it. And you can either play it on a tablet or on a laptop, and that app is going to be 
Uh, it's going to be a graphic source for you. You can actually like see the ocean in front of you when you're moving, when you're submerged or um, on top of the water. Uh, you get to see your torpedoes go out into the ocean and hopefully sink your target. And it'll be sending you information about little side missions or communiques from HQ about where they've seen the, uh, the merchant fleets. And the, the really cool thing about it, which I think got your head turning, was at some point uh, a destroyer found us in the middle of the Atlantic and they start pinging you and we submerged underwater to try to get away from its main cannons, but now it's gonna try for a depth charge run. So the microphone on your laptop or device clicks on and you all have to start whispering to each other because they're, you know, the way a sonar works underwater is they're looking for any sound, either the propeller spinners or guys freaking out in a sub, they can hear that. And there's this nice little bar that's going on and it's a sound bar on your on your device. And it was constantly going into the red because there was a D&D game in the background with everybody chucking dice and we sunk to the bottom of the ocean in like the next 30 seconds. I have, uh, can I ask another question, Jason, or do you have something? Oh, go right ahead, sorry. <clears throat> okay, here's my next question. Here's my next question. Uh, if there, so, you, how long has the Devil's Bench been there? First of all, you're, uh, since 2015. So you're going on. You're five years. Congratulations. Yep, five years. April 4th will be number six. Oh my gosh, that's great. Uh, so he, so then here's my question: What is an illusion that that gamers people have uh, about what it's like to run a game store? What do they not? What do they? What do they not realize? What what's something that they always make an assumption that you do or have or benefit from that's just not true? Uh, they think all of this is free for me. <laughs> it's definitely not. Um, that's why you know things are priced the way they are. Is that the uh, the board game industry and the the miniatures industry and every you know industry? I'm really just a middleman through the distributor, right? Uh, I pay a distribution cost and then and then charge a retail cost. And I take the profit from that to keep the place going. That's kind of how this place works. People think I get to play games all day. That's that's definitely not, not the case uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I like to give the most table time I can to the clientele. It'd be kind of weird if somebody says, hey, you know, Curly, I, I bought this big $400 army. I would like to come play today. And I say, no, 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 these are my tables. I'll be playing on them today. You can watch if you want. You watch and really a, a lot of the job is just answering questions, dealing with emails, putting in orders. Apart from that, I find, and I've, I've told this to a couple people, you have to wear a lot of different hats as a, as a game store owner. Um, you're working with a clientele and I'm definitely one of these people that for the longest time, nobody wants to listen to the Warhammer dork at home. Nobody, your sister doesn't want to listen. Your brother doesn't want to listen. Your mom and dad, you know, they'll buy you the stuff as a kid, but they don't really care what's happening in the battle from a Craig, right? So you come to the game store to, to let loose to, to go crazy on, on all the, the things you've read last night and all the, 
the, the epic battles you were watching on YouTube and this, this crazy campaign you're going through in your D&D right now, and you have to be the guy behind the counter to not only listen, but reciprocate those good feelings uh, because they're just not getting it anywhere else. So you almost have to be kind of, kind of like that old barkeep that, you know, he's washing the glass and, you know, what's your problem, stranger? And you got to be that guy for a town of niche hobbyists. Yeah, they, they get that opportunity to geek out there. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I don't mind doing that. I can talk shop all day. Not a problem. You become that ear for them to. You become that ear and you also have to have all the answers whenever possible right uh you i've you know i can tip my hat to myself on this one that i've cultivated a good crew of experts uh in general fields so if somebody asks me a dnd question i usually send them to you and when someone asks me a, a tabletop question there are a couple individuals i can send to them it's good to have a, a general knowledge of the things you have on your shelf but you can't learn it all especially with every other week there's a new faq for some system or a new Jeez, rules yeah. update, just being abreast of what you have uh, is, is a big part of, of owning a store. It's nice to talk to people who are passionate about stuff you're passionate about. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and, it's good for the soul. Yeah. And uh, I, I'll be the first person to say, like, I hate this online stuff. It absolutely is. But I mean, you, you work with the tools you've got, right? Right. I'd much rather be, we, we, this would be way better if we were all at the bench right now. Yep. Sitting, at a, sitting at a table with Maria's pizza. I'd like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So someday, someday soon. <laughs> Where would you like to see the bench in maybe five or 10 years? If there was no budget restrictions, if there was no, you know, if, if Brantford wasn't restricting you with, uh, with marketplace, is there things that. Oh, a hundred percent. And any entrepreneur that tells you otherwise uh, is lying, right. Yeah. Or is stuck in a rut. Uh, Brantford's in a weird spot right now, real estate wise, and just like people's general income, it's a low income town. Mm -hmm. So you take a niche hobby with a low income town that's in a housing crisis right now, and there is not a lot of revenue to be had. Uh, that being said, uh, in parlance to your question, if there was no budgetary restrictions, I would put in a bar. I would love for this place to be like a gaming tavern where you could mm -hmm. have fixed, uh, big, beautiful Warhammer tables with a place to put your, your mug of ale or mead or local craft breweries. There's so many in the surrounding area. Yeah, there is. Um, You're right. And uh, just to be that guy, but there's so much bullshit when it comes to <laughs> trying to get your liquor license. Holy shit, is it a pain in the ass. You have to have so many square feet in every direction. You have to offer something called a substantial meal, which now I have to put in a kitchen. You got to get your smart serve, which isn't a big deal. But the problem is the the license. You have to of, offer a substantial meal. A substantial meal, and like, what really? is a substantial meal, right? What a lot of guys do. I wonder. I want to know then how these barber shops, because there are barber shops that have sort of like, have a beer, get your hair cut. And yeah, and if you way. ask for a substantial meal, they're going to give you a menu that has one item on it, and it's going to be a plate of nachos for $400. And is Those... that your substantial meal? They'll microwave it right now. They don't care. They'll go <laughs> buy the, the nachos. And it's also a gamble when you're doing the, the actual 
um, the paperwork to submit to City Hall to get your liquor license. And there's like a, I think the last time I checked, it was 400 and something dollars just to submit the paperwork. And if they yeah. don't like it, that's not refundable. You can apply again. That's going to be another $400. And out of a small business's pocket, that's that's a big chunk of money to just go on a whim. Not I to think, mention putting in like deep fryers or something. But regardless of how tricky that would be, I think there's merit in that idea. I think that one of the things that maybe keeps a gamer at home as opposed to on one of your tables is that they can have a beer. A hundred percent. And that's why I would love, I would need a bit of a bigger space because there's nowhere in here to put a bar. Yeah. You'd have to run a tap and you'd have to put in a small kitchen and you have to make sure, I think I have to, I have two washrooms, but I think for this square footage, you would need three if you put in a, to answer your question and not go on a diatribe about uh, well, I'm gonna, city bylaws, I would love to put in a bar. That, that, I, think that's, I think that's a great idea. And to only reinforce your rant, <laughs> Heroes for CF, I, that, I, that I run, I give away prizing. So if you come out, you raise some money, you come play D&D that day, I'll, I've got lots of game, like role-playing games, uh, miniature game stuff to give away. I, had, I can't even tell you the hoops that I had to jump through Oh, it's nuts. To give someone a D&D book for coming out that day. Yep. It's insane. Because now are you gambling? And now what are people paying for? And yes. there's a form for this and a fee if for If I that. charge you $20 to come through the door, and I then have a random drawing to give you a door prize, we are now gambling. Yeah, yeah. The same thing happened when I opened up and I put uh, confectionaries at the front counter. Now we just do like, um, you know, chocolate bars and stuff or uh, little bags of chips, but we used to have like muffins and little carrot cake uh, squares and stuff. So uh, a gentleman from the city came in and he said, you know, are, are these muffins? And I said, absolutely, they're muffins. He's like, okay, are those chairs? And I was like, yeah, people like to sit and, you know, have their muffin and game. He's like, okay, are people going to unwrap the muffin and sit at that chair and eat it here? And I was like, where the fuck are you going with this, buddy? Of course they are. He's like, well, congratulations. You're now a low tier restaurant. Here's a couple of new fees for you. Here's your licensing agreement. And here's a couple of forms for you to sign out. And it's like, ah, oh, well, fantastic. I guess I'll enjoy my 50 cent muffins because I'm now a low tier restaurant. People don't understand what your store is. It doesn't necessarily, like it's not a restaurant. No, no, it's not a restaurant. Uh, it is a retail store with a an emphasis on community. You can come and play the games here. You can find friendship here. And a lot of friendships have blossomed and bloomed from this. Uh, you can launch different platforms from it. But from, you know, a, from a bookkeeper, from a number cruncher for a city, you are an anomaly. Absolutely. Like you, you are not strictly retail, but you're not a restaurant and you're not like social club. Like there's, there's a number of aspects going on here. Oh yeah. 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 Well, that's, well, we've had a good time talking to you. I mean, we, I think we kind of knew a lot of the answers to the questions we asked, but I wanted everyone to have an opportunity to hear it right from the horse's mouth, essentially as to someone running a game store, what it's like and, uh, 
I think we've given a little little window on that. And we certainly talk about the devil's bench all the time, but we do so only to use the devil's bench as an example of a local game store, which we want our listeners to support in their own areas. I, I do, in a, in a time when Amazon delivery to your door and everything is going on, I think that people have kind of forgotten uh, about their local brick and mortar stores and what they, they can offer so much more than a delivery service. Absolutely. Um, if places like these go away, then everybody's going to have to go online and you're not going to be able to go out for the tournaments and uh, the fun little meetups and meet the new people. Uh, what I would recommend everybody to do and like, don't take the devil's bench, the bench out of your mind, you know, think about your local game store and just shoot them a message. You know, uh, a lot of them do gift cards. If there's nothing on the wall that you want right now, uh, something to help that guy out because I, I see it every month. There's a new hobby store in the, in the GTA that are closing down or GoFundMe accounts are being set up through them uh, just to keep going because that, that government cheese is drying up real quick. And I don't think there's much of an end to COVID in sight. So what I would recommend to everybody listening is just reach out to your local game store, ask if you can do anything, even if everybody's in a tight spot right now. So if you can't do something monetarily, uh, ask if there's a, uh, a game you can run virtually. Uh, if, you're, if you're a GM, if you're a DM, uh, if you are on Tabletop Simulator on Steam, uh, ask if you can promote through your local game shop just to get those good vibes going again just to be that guy that spearheads a new campaign through your local store. And then when we're able to roll dice again in person, now you're the guy. You can be the one at the store table uh, leading the charge. Just uh, any way you can help is a, is a great help to local businesses. I agree. I agree. That's excellent. Jason? Yes, Jeremy. Do you want to take us out of here? Uh, yeah, I guess it's about time. We're going to sign off now. Uh, this has been Jason, Jeremy, and our good friend Alex at the Devil's Bench. Uh, <laughs> the traditional sign-off, of course, is uh, good night, Dick. And generally, if we have a guest on, we will afford them the opportunity to uh, sign us out. Gentlemen, I would be honored. Good night, Dick. <laughs>